Well, good morning, Chili Bible. I'm glad you all are here this morning. Um, as uh, as Rick said earlier, uh, while Game Feast tickets are going fast, I think I've got about 30 at this point left that are not spoken for. So uh, if you want one, see me, please. Uh, we don't want to tell you, hey, we're sold out, sorry. Uh, there are only so many chairs we can put in this room. And so... Um, so if you want if you want one of those, see me. Also, um, we really, really, really need some folks to work in the kitchen that day to help us with serving food, um, to uh, help us uh, run uh, pitchers of water and lemonade out to tables and um, and that kind of thing as we're trying to serve a couple of hundred people. Uh, so if you can help us out in, in one of those capacities, if you'd be willing to serve in the kitchen and, um, and, and, and uh, help us to feed all these folks, that would be fantastic. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out there for it, and uh, we for sure need it. I think we need about a dozen people. We ha- so far have two. <laughs> so lots of opportunities to serve with that. Uh, I want to pray. And, uh, and just ask God to open the word uh, to us all. So let's, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so tender with us. That you are so gentle in your, even in your rebuke, Father. If we will turn to you and listen, uh, you bring us gently back to your side. And Father, I pray this morning as we open the Word together that, that You would open it up to us and help us to not only understand it, but to be transformed by it and to live by it and to walk in it that we might enjoy the life that is really life, the life that Christ came to bring us. Uh, Father, uh, Jesus said, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Help us to experience that as we read Your Word together here this morning in Jesus name amen well um, those of you who were here last week may remember that uh, I gave part two of a message on welcoming people even when they have different convictions than you do and that is what chapter 14 of Romans is really all about and normally when I go home from Sunday morning uh, we go eat uh, either at home or somewhere else, and then we go take a nap. And then if it is football season, we watch football. And uh, we don't do too much on Sunday afternoon. We just kind of chill out. Uh, but I tried to do that this past Sunday afternoon, but after I slept for a, a little bit, I woke up kind of bugged by something um, that I had said in my message. And one of my illustrations last week was about the rule that my uh, my seminary used to have back in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s against drinking coffee if you were a student there. And the feeling was, based on Dr. Chafer, the founder of the seminary's uh, conviction, that if you were a believer, you shouldn't take drugs, and coffee has caffeine in it, and this is not uh, something you should do. And I don't share his convictions on that. And in fact, I kind of made a wisecrack about it. 
And in so doing, it just struck me, well, you're a hypocrite. Here you told everybody to receive one another's convictions on various issues, and you made fun of somebody else's convictions about it. And uh, needless to say, that is not what Romans 14 tells us to do. Amen? That is not what Romans 14 tells us to do. It tells us to give respect to each other. And, uh, and you know, I think I was wrong in telling them, in telling you all how ridiculous that was. And they were wrong in trying to impose their convictions on a group of people. On a non-biblical issue. So what we need, all of us, is to figure out how to love one another like Jesus. Amen? And thankfully, that is what Romans chapter 15 is about. Uh, beginning in verse 1, all the way down through verse 13, we, we get instruction on how to love each other like Jesus. Because let me tell you something. I happen to be the person whom God has called and gifted and put in this role to explain the scriptures uh, for all of us and to encourage us to live by them. But I am not anybody's definition of a perfect man on anything with reference to the scriptures. Okay? So just, just so we're all clear on that in case anybody was confused... Uh, maturity does not necessarily look like your pastor. Maturity looks like Jesus. In fact, that's what Paul tells us to do, to grow up into the measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. And that is the goal. And so we want to look at this passage here, uh, beginning, verse, uh, beginning verse 1. How do we love each other like Jesus? So if you've got your Bible, let's just look at the first, um, first seven verses here to begin with, and then we'll move on. Uh, which tell us to follow Jesus in welcoming each other. So here's, here's what the Scripture says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, according to the Scriptures, if you, if you read Jesus' teaching on, on anything, really, one of the things that you see is that to whom much is given, much is expected. And if you are strong, you don't get to be strong for yourself. To be strong is to carry with it some responsibilities toward other people. So, as an example... In a marriage, God makes one of you, the big, hairy, ugly one, stronger than the other one. Why? Is it so that he can dominate over her and rule and get what he wants? No. 
It is for protection and provision and security. Because the world out there is an ugly, nasty place, right? And so you need, sometimes, the big hairy one to do his job and not to send her when there's a noise in the night. You go, you know, there's a noise in the night, and you roll over and you look at her and you say, sweetheart, go check that out, right? That is not her job, that is your job. Okay? She's the, to uh, stay back and uh, pray for you and call the police, right? And to collect your life insurance check should you die. <laughs> uh, but to be strong, biblically, is to have a responsibility of care and protection and provision for those who are weaker. And to be strong in the faith, as we saw in Romans chapter 14, is to also carry with it a responsibility to care for those who are not. To care for those who have weaker faith than you. You're to use your strength to protect and to provide and to care for other people. And here in the text, beginning of verse 1, it says, Your responsibility, if you are strong is to be patient with, to bear with, to endure alongside, to be patient with those who are weaker. If you're a person who enjoys your freedom in Christ, and that's me, I enjoy my freedom in Christ. There are areas I feel conviction, but there are wide areas where I have great freedom and enjoy it. But if you are one of those people, then you need to be patient. We need to be patient with those who lack that freedom, and be willing also to sacrifice for their good. If you're genuinely strong in the love of Christ, then your love extends to doing what is necessary to help and to encourage and to live a life that is pleasing to your brothers and sisters, and not to be self-seeking and doing what will only please yourself. That's, that's the point of verses 1 and 2. That, that if you're strong, that you live your life for other people and for their benefit, not just your own. And if necessary, you sacrifice some of your freedoms that you enjoy for their good, for their encouragement, for their upbuilding. And do and you know why we do this? Because of Jesus. Because of His example. The person that we follow, verse 3, did not live his life or for himself, but for us. Even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. This is his life is lived in fulfillment of Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. His life ended in reproach, if you remember. Jesus died naked and mocked and bloodied and spit on and beaten and shamed. He died bearing our reproach according to the Scriptures. 
And so every lash from the whip, every thorn, every nail, every drop of blood, every bit of agony through the crucifixion, every word of scorn, every false accusation, every moment of living a very pain-filled life as the Son of God in a broken, sinful world, every bit of it down here was a sacrifice for the Son of God. And it was made for you and for me. That our reproach, the shame and guilt and pain that we justly deserve for being sinners, fell instead on Jesus. That He came as a servant to die for us. And just in case anybody is missing the point here, we get verse 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction and through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. In other words, he's saying here, I am not just spouting off to you Old Testament quotations for no reason. Just because I can. Just because I can quote Psalm 69. Paul probably had the entire Old Testament memorized. But just because I can quote Psalm 69, I'm not just doing that because I can. I'm not doing it for my health. I'm reminding you that what was written in the Old Testament is written to teach us in the present. Everything that's written in the past is written to teach us how to live in a way that glorifies God. Now, your Old Testament might not be as well read as the New Testament portions of your Bible. And that's okay. The Old Testament is not as, as, linear, as, as applicable in such a linear way as your New Testament is. However, everything that is in there does apply to you in some way. In that it teaches you something about God, or it teaches you something about how to have a relationship with God, or what it's like to be in relationship with God, or where, what to do with struggles that you encounter, or all of those kinds of things are covered in your Old Testament. And, he, and he, what he's saying here is that the Scriptures are meant to help us to endure difficulties and to get encouragement Look at this, through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures. Through the encouragement of the Scriptures. I can just tell you, there are days when I wake up and I think to myself, oh good Lord, it's morning. Right? Here we go through another day. And when I open my Bible and I read what the Scriptures have said to me and what God is speaking to me, it reorients my thinking and reminds me that God rules from heaven and that this life is short and that I am redeemed and justified and made right with God and have an eternal inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that Jesus is with me in every moment of every day. And that I should not fear because even the very worst thing that could happen to me is not beyond God's reach and control. And that if the worst does happen, 
that on the other side of it, not even a nanosecond later, I'm in the presence of the Savior. That's encouragement from the Scriptures. Amen? And, and these things are written down for us so that we can have that encouragement, so that we can have hope as we go through life. Because life can hit you hard. I was with a friend of mine this week whose three-month-old baby had to have open-heart surgery and is spending the next two weeks in the ICU. Little bitty child. You want to talk about a struggle? Is God there in the midst of that? You bet. But we need hope and encouragement and we get them from the Scriptures so that we don't have to live life for our, for, by ourselves and we don't live life for ourselves because we see in them an example of Jesus laying down His life for us. Just like the Old Testament said He would, in fact, Jesus did. And then verse 5 and 6 are a prayer. And this prayer is also an example for us. Notice how he refers to God. He is not just our God, but He is the God of endurance and encouragement. Isn't that interesting? Last verse, he talked about encouragement and endurance, right? And he goes, where do you get encouragement and endurance from? Well, from the Scriptures. But where do the Scriptures come from? From God, who is the God of endurance and encouragement. In other words, God is calling you to endure, and He is, he is giving you encouragement from the Scriptures, but He supplies the thing that you need. He's not asking you for some, to, to crank up something of your own. He is the one giving to you what He promises. He is giving you endurance and encouragement. And that what we need is the precise kind that God our Father supplies. Endurance and encouragement that He asks for is the thing that He gives. God doesn't command us to do something without giving us the ability to do it from His own power. And so we're not asked to do the impossible here. We're asked to do what God requires and what God's power enables. And look what, the, look what the content of the prayer is. It's that the God of endurance and encouragement would enable us, therefore, to live in harmony as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That because, when, he's, when he uses that uh, in accord with Christ Jesus, in other words, because we are connected to Jesus, the Messiah, then we are brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters then, who are all individually in accord with Christ, we ought to be in harmony with each other. And then if we are in harmony with each other, then together, we with one voice, we are united in such a way that with one voice we give praise to God our Father. That we bring glory to Him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we are united to each other, then together we glorify God 
that in spite of all of our differences, and there are lots of differences, the, the, the amount of homogeneity there is in a church is all superficial. It's all superficial. It's underneath the surface of the skin that we are all totally different. And yet God calls us, despite all of our differences, despite all of our differences in background, despite all of our differences in income, despite all of our differences in family structure, despite all of our differences in uh, outlook on life, despite all our differences politically, despite all our differences, just between the, there's a vast difference between just men and women. Despite all of those differences, together to glorify God with one voice. And Paul prays that we might do that. And look at verse 7 here, because this is his conclusion to this section. He says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. That in light of what I have prayed would happen, in light of what God has designed to happen, in light of what Jesus has showed us how to do with His life, of laying down His life for other people's benefit, in light of all of these things, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now, just think for just a second about what you were like when Christ welcomed you. How many of you, when you came to Christ, when you offered your prayer of faith to God, said to Him, and by the way, you're welcome? Nobody did that? I mean, I did that, but none of the rest of you, right? Nobody, nobody said to God, well, you know, I bet you're glad you got me in the kingdom. Right? No one did that. Why not? Because I don't know about you, but I was a wreck when I came to God. I was a hot mess on a stick. Okay? And, and, and I had a whole bunch of stuff in my soul, in my heart, in my life that I needed to deal with. And I clung to the Savior like a man in a shipwreck hangs on to a piece of floating junk hoping it's going to get you to the beach. And I bet all of you did too. Because when we come to Jesus, we realize what the Bible says about us is really true. That we really are sinners and we really do deserve to go to hell. And, and apart from Jesus... Love and God's mercy, that's exactly where we're going, and we're going as fast as we can on a rocket. And then Jesus grabs hold of us. And despite all of our mess, He says, Mine! Over you and over me. And He grabs you. And pulls you into His boat. And says, I will take you all the way home. That's how Jesus welcomed you and me. He embraced us and loved us in spite of all of our stuff. Amen? And so when it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, what's it saying to us? That when somebody comes into the body of Christ with a bunch of mess, what are we to do? Welcome them. 
just like Jesus welcomed us. We welcome them. And we love them. We put our arms around them. And we talked this last week in prayer meeting. No, it was at the elder meeting about one of the elders, uh, one of his jobs early on was working at a pig farm. And he said that he would come home every night and like scrub up with like lime juice and whatever else he could to go, to go try and get that stench off of him, right? And it just becomes a permeation in your skin, right? He says, and I would smell pretty good until I went to go play basketball. And then all the perspiration just, all that just kind of reactivates <laughs> all of that stunk, all of that stink, Right? And you think about the story of the prodigal son. We were talking about that with reference to the prodigal son. <laughs> and, and, you know, you think about the prodigal son is working the only job he can get at a pig farm. And I'm not talking about, like, modern day, you know, you kind of walk through in your rubber boots with, confi- you know, you get confinements and all that. No, no. Now, this is out in the muck and the mud with a bunch of hogs. And when the son comes home, the father runs to meet him and throws his arms around him in the midst of his funk. Welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. That's what that verse is all about. And when we do that, when we welcome people who are very different from us and let God sort all, all of the stuff with them. And we glorify God. We fulfill God's purpose in sending Jesus Christ and we glorify God. And that's what verses 8-13 to 13 are all about. It tells us why Jesus was even sent to begin with. Look at these verses with me. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Why did Jesus come? Well, according to verses 8 and 9, it was for two reasons. Number one, it was to fulfill, to confirm the truth of God's promises to the patriarchs. And number two, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Now let's consider the first one. God made all sorts of promises throughout the Old Testament. Amen? The first one that He makes is to Eve in the garden. And He tells her about the seed of the woman. In other words, a child who will be born of woman interesting language women don't have seed they have eggs men have seed but there's going to be a seed of the woman 
who's going to be born. And He will crush the serpent. And He will make everything right. And He will bring humanity back into fellowship with God. And then you see that promise get a little bit a little bit wider and a little bit more confirmed with Noah. And God says to Noah, I'm going to start over with your family. And out of your family is going to come the seed of the woman. And then God gives Noah a blessing to pronounce over his son Shem. And that through him, the, 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 the seed of the woman is going to come. And then you get... Genesis chapter 12, and God says to Abraham, it's through you that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And Paul says in Romans that, that God preached the gospel to Abraham and through Abraham, that through him the blessing of Messiah was going to come. And then you get the promise passed to Isaac, and then the promise passed to Jacob, and then the promise passed down to the twelve tribes. And then you, as Jacob lays dying... He pronounces blessing on his sons and he tells his son Judah that the ruler is going to come from him. And then generations later, you read about David. And God says, no, the promise is going to come specifically through you, through the line of Judah, through you and your family. And the Messiah will come through you and he will reign. And then alongside that, you've got all these promises made that the Messiah is not just coming for the Jewish people. No. That God has a much bigger plan. That the, that the Gospel is going to be fulfilled first for the Jew in confirmation of promises made to the patriarchs to show that God is truthful, that God keeps His Word, but also that it's going to go out to all the Gentile nations of the earth too. And that's the second reason Jesus had to come. Because salvation is not just for the Jew, it comes from the Jews, but it's not just for them. It's also that people of all nations might worship Jesus. And a lot of people within the church have this idea that, well, the Old Testament is only about God's promises to the Jewish people, and it is primarily about that. But right alongside them, mixed in all through the whole Old Testament, is God's intention that the nations of the world would be glad because the Jewish people have come and because through them the Messiah has come. That all nations might together worship the one Messiah and give glory to God. Together as the people of God. And so you get these Old Testament quotations. This is where the Gentiles fit into the Jewish Scriptures. And we get just four quotations. First one is Psalm chapter 18, verse 29, which reminds us that God wants to be worshipped not only among the Jews, but also among the Gentiles. And the second is verse 10, where he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43, which is a call for all nations to worship God along with the Jewish nation. Deuteronomy is, is a record of the speeches of Moses, the final five sermons that he gives before the people go into the land. And even then, Moses is saying to the people, you know, you're about to go into the land, you're about to take possession of it, but remember that God is going to save the Gentiles too. And then in verse 11, we see a quote from Psalm 117, verse 1, which doesn't refer to Israel at all, but talks about how it calls all the Gentile nations of the world to worship God. 
And finally, in verse 10, there's a quote from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, which prophesies the Messiah coming from David's line who will not just be king of Israel, but the king of all nations and that people of all Gentile nations will put their hope in this Jewish Messiah king. And all these prophecies and promises together in the Old Testament are directed to the Jews, but they include all of the Gentile nations and all of us in them. Why? Because God's intention in sending Jesus Christ is to form one people of God from all of the peoples of the earth. All of the peoples of the earth join together and worship Him in unity and fulfill God's purpose in sending Jesus Christ and worship Him together for eternity. In other words, love and unity out of great diversity is a big deal to God. It's not that all of our diversity disappears, but that we unify in love toward one another. That we form, as Paul says in Ephesians, one new man, one new humanity, that as the people of God are united, even in our diversity of opinion, even in our diversity of, of race and economics and class and nation and language and all of the things that would otherwise divide us, we are unified together in the worship of the one true God. In the last verse, verse 13, is another prayer that the God who has filled us with such amazing, fulfilled hope in Jesus. We have in Jesus not just hope, but fulfilled hope. Amen? Because all these things the Old Testament predicted and that the people of the Old Testament hoped would come as a result of God's promises did in fact happen. And we have amazing, fulfilled hope in Jesus Christ. And, that, and Paul, so Paul's prayer is that in light of that, that we might have joy and peace by believing in the Spirit's power and, and therefore abound in hope. That our hope would overflow into daily life because of what God has already done and is still doing in the person of Jesus Christ. I think the idea is that if we remember why it is and how it is that Jesus came, then our faith would begin to work itself out in the church and in our relationships with each other and in so doing, overwhelm us with hope knowing that God is doing what He intended to do from the beginning. As we live out the example of Jesus and how we live with each other, we get reminded of why Jesus came and that He came for the likes of you and me. And as we learn to love and to welcome and to receive and accept each other like Jesus, then we start to see God's purpose in sending Jesus fulfilled. We start to see it in front of us. That, hey, this is what the Scripture is talking about. 
hey, God is doing this right now. And as we see, as we see those hopes being fulfilled in the present, we get encouragement. Oh, well, if this has happened, well, Jesus has already saved me. And then I see the promises that He made that He would unify people from all over the world being fulfilled in my life. And so that must mean that God is still true and faithful and going to fulfill all the things He hasn't done yet that He has promised, but hasn't happened yet. And so that we then get filled with hope for the future as well. Because we see what God has done in the past, we see what He is doing in the present, and so we know that He must be going to do everything else too. And we get filled with joy and peace, whatever our current circumstances, knowing that the God who has saved us is working out His plan right now and is therefore to be counted on and can be counted on and fully trusted to work out His plan in the future too. Amen? And that ought to fill us with hope. All of us Gentiles, we need to stand up and pray. And we need to sing praise to God for what He's doing. And then we need to live out the life of Jesus out there. Out on 29 or 74 or whatever the big, big road is that you live near. Okay? We've got to live our lives out as we get out of this place and out into the world. And, and let the hope of Jesus overflow. The Scripture says, let all... Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. All you Gentiles, we're going to praise the Lord. All right? Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. We're going to do that. So let's stand, let's pray, and then let's rejoice and sing. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You welcomed us. And Father, we cannot... Imagine what would possess you to do that. To welcome the likes of us into your family, except that the Scripture says that this is love. Not that we love you, but that you loved us and sent the Son for us. And Father, we can't even get our arms around that. We are not big enough to understand the kind of love that You have demonstrated to us in Christ. But Father, we pray that the love of Christ would overflow through us and from us out to a world that is in desperate need of Your love. That Your purpose in uniting all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, people of every nation and tribe and tongue and people, would unite together and with one voice give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of us might glorify You. And Father, we pray that we might glorify You well here this morning as we close, just for practice for the day when we stand before You together with Your people. Father, help us to rejoice and to have an overflowing of hope because of what You have done and are doing already, and will yet do in the future. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.